Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Um, we have some visitors here today, which is great. I want to give them a very warm and special welcome. Um, I hope that today, as we look at the scriptures together, the Word of God would be a blessing to you and that God would speak to each one of our hearts. I'm going to continue my theme on fundamental truth from the Bible, and today I want to look at the subject of the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and specific truth that we learn from the cross of Christ. To uh, introduce my subject today, I'd like to read from the book of Luke and chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Hey, Matt, can you uh, put to the next slide? Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read at verse 45. Now, these are the words of the Lord Jesus just before he went back to heaven. And he's speaking to his disciples, and he's telling them, this is your focus. So Luke 24, verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to the entire world. I'd like to speak to you today particularly on the subject of repentance from the cross. You know, there are two things that Jesus said should be preached to the entire world. And surely these two things are fundamental truth. Surely they are fundamental. Repentance and forgiveness of sins from the cross. When you think of the word repentance, it's not a word that we use very much today in our everyday language, but in one word, repentance means to be changed. To be changed. And let me say this at the beginning of my message. No one is ever the same again that understands the truth of the cross. When a person gets to the cross and trusts Jesus Christ as his Savior, you're changed. No one is ever the same again that understands the truth of the cross. Now let's turn back to chapter 23 and we're going to read what happened at the cross. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. It says that two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, 
Some versions say Calvary. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood watching. The rulers also scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ of God, the chosen one. Verse 39, And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. I'd like to present to you today the fundamental truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. Needless to say, it's not a very popular subject today. It's not something that the general public like to be reminded of. It's not something that we like to hear, but it is so fundamental and it is so important to be able to preach the truth of the cross. I would like to start by saying that the cross is the central theme of the Bible. You know, if you were to go way back in the beginning of your Bible to Genesis chapter three, you're gonna read these words that God said. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. What was he referring to? The cross. You go to Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham is going up Mount Moriah with his son, and Isaac asks, where is the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Could I tell you that he was referring to the cross? You go a little bit further into Isaiah 53, and you read these words, he was wounded for our transgressions, our sins, our iniquities. He was pierced through, written 700 years before he came. What was Isaiah referring to? The cross. You go a little bit further to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and, and Christ appears on the scene. And John the Baptist points him out on the banks of the Jordan River, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What was he referring to? The cross. You come to this chapter that we have read today, in Luke 23, and this is the central focus of the Bible. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. The cross is the central theme of the Bible. I'd like to say that the cross is the core message of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse three, Paul says, this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. The cross is the core message of the gospel. I'd like to also say that the cross is the central point of all time. 
Even before the world began, there was a day on God's calendar when he would give his own son to die for sinners. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So forever in a past eternity, God looked forward to the cross. And those of us who are saved forever in the future, we will look back to the day when God gave his son at the cross to save us from our sins. We will sing unto him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. The cross is the highest point of God's love. Romans chapter five says it was here that God demonstrated his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the lowest point in man's history. It's the darkest hour. When Acts, 20, Acts 2 and verse 23 says, wicked hands took and murdered the Son of God. The cross is the turning point for all humanity. And that's what I'd really like to speak about today is repentance from the cross. It is the place that everyone is changed forever when they get to the cross and they understand who Jesus is and why he died. The cross leads sinners to repentance. Can we go to the next slide? This is a picture today of what Skull Hill looks like. And if you were so privileged to be able to visit Israel, you could go to the old city gate, the gate that is called the Damascus Gate, and about eight or 900 meters outside that gate, down the street and around a corner, you get to Skull Hill. This is a physical location on planet Earth where God's Son died for our sins. Luke chapter 23 and verse 33 says, when they came to the place which is called the skull. Can you see the skull? You can see in that old quarry where Solomon dug out the original stones of the temple and brought them over just across the Kidron Valley to build the foundation of the temple. This is the place. And if you look at that hillside today, you will see the image of a skull. The word Calvary is a Latin word. The word Golgotha is a Hebrew word. And really what it means is the place of death. This was the place of public execution of criminals. And in the Roman Empire, when people rebelled against Rome, they were taken out to this place and they were crucified. Right in the main city where people would walk in and out of the gate, it would be visible to all. And the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, it was, it was a festive season. It was Passover. There likely was over a million people in the city and they would come in and out and they would pass by that place and they would see Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, there's a beautiful verse in 
Philippians 2 and verse 8, and it says that he humbled himself. Folks, this is God's one and only Son, the creator of all things, the one who is eternal. And he became a man. He humbled himself, not only to become a man and to become a servant, but to actually become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Folks, this was not some horrific accident. This was not the death of a martyr. This was not a good teacher that somehow was rejected by people and, and there was a horrific mistake where he was crucified. No, this was planned by God. Before the ages of time, God had a plan to give his son and in willing obedience to his father, the Lord Jesus humbled himself and went to Skull Hill to die for sinners. Let's go to the next slide. I'd like to share with you today some fundamental teaching that we get from the cross. I've got three points here that I'd like to share with you. The cross explodes the myth of religion. You know, it's amazing when we're out on the street and we're, we're sharing the gospel and, and people will automatically say, I'm not religious. Or like someone said on Friday night, oh, I don't need that. I, I actually just came from Mass. Okay. Folks, this is not religion. The cross actually explodes the myth of religion. It wasn't the immoral world that put him on the cross. It wasn't those violent criminals that put him on the cross. It was the religious leaders that called out for his death. It was religion that put him on the cross. The cross is the end of every human effort to be right with God. See, religion says, I want to do the best that I can. If I'm a good person, if I, if I go to church regularly, if I give money to the poor and help my neighbor, or take the sacraments, or if I can be baptized and, and follow a church, then I will be good with God. Folks, I wanna tell you today that the cross explodes the myth of religion. In Galatians 2 and verse 21, it says, if righteousness came by the law, then Christ has died in vain. Could I stop and tell you that there is not a person on this earth that ever lived that could ever be right with God by keeping the law or doing good works? In order for you and I and a world of humanity to be saved by the grace of God, God's son had to die. There was no other way other than the cross. And if there was no cross, everyone that ever lived would die in their sins and they would perish in a lost sinner's hell. But because of the cross, God has provided a way of salvation. And I wanna say this, religion, baptism, reformation, good works or rituals can never take away sin. 
There's only one thing that the Bible states so clearly can take away sin. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. How simple, but how profound. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that could pay the debt of our sin. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Let me remind you of what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This salvation is by grace alone. Folks, you didn't deserve it, and neither did I. There is not one person that ever deserved the favor of God because we are sinners. But God reaches out to a world of lost humanity. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Galatians 2 and 16 says, We conclude that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Most people don't like to be reminded of the cross because it is a horrific scene. It is awful, but it is what it cost God to give his own son to die for our sins that we might be redeemed to God. Not only that, the cross exposes the heart of humanity. There's a lesson here for me, and I would like to say that there's a lesson here for every human being at the cross. You know, we, we, we don't realize it, but we have a deceitful heart. Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. When we look at the cross, we see what humanity did to God's own son. Let me start by saying it was for envy. It was for envy that they delivered up the Lord Jesus. Historically and culturally, in the nation of Israel at that time, there was a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And they controlled their own culture and their own society. And the Romans gave them this power to control their people. And the very last thing that they ever wanted to do was lose that power, to lose that control. And Jesus came on the scene and he contradicted the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he spoke with power and he spoke with authority and he walked on water and he raised the dead and he gave sight to the blind and he proved that he is God incarnate. And the leaders, the Pharisees, they were distraught. They didn't know how they could possibly get rid of this man. Until it comes to a climax in John chapter 11, and I think it's about verse 50, where Caiaphas is meeting with the, the Pharisees. Caiaphas is the high priest. And the, the Pharisees are saying, what are we going to do? The whole world is going after him. And you know what Caiaphas said? He said, it is profitable if we destroy Jesus. It is profitable, expedient, 
that he dies for the rest of the people so that the Romans won't come and take away our power. And Pilate knew that it was for envy that Jesus was delivered up. The cross exposes the heart of all humanity. They mocked him. We, we thought about that a couple of weeks ago. They bowed the knee and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They punched him. They spit upon him. They said, if you're a king, you need a crown of thorns. And they put it on his head and they beat it down until his blood flowed. They took a purple robe in mockery of his kingship and they put it on him. And then they shamed him. His clothes were taken off him, beaten and scourged with a back that was bleeding. They put a cross upon him. You know what the mob called out for? These very same people that likely received the recipients of God's mercy in so many ways. Fickle. A week before they were, they were crying Hosanna. And at the end of that week, the Jewish leaders had influenced them to call out, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. And that's what the crowd called out. Do you ever stop and think what it would be like for you if, if you were there? If you lived in that day, and, and if you were there in the multitudes of people, could I say this? None of us would be any different. Because of the sin that is in our own hearts, we would actually call out to crucify God's one and only Son. And so they are given a choice that day. It was the... It was the the festival, and it was tradition that one prisoner would be released to the Jews instead of being crucified. And so Pilate says, okay, I got them this time. We're gonna, we're gonna free Jesus. So he brings out Barabbas, a murderer, a filthy wretch, a wicked, godless sinner who had lived a life of crime. And on the other side, he says, here's Jesus. Behold the man, the king of the Jews, spotless, pure, holy, righteous. Which of these two should I release unto you? And the crowd cries out, Barabbas, let's take the murderer. Deliver Jesus to be crucified. What was that? That was an evident revelation of the sinful, wicked, heart of all mankind. They would choose a murderer over Christ. I have to tell you today with shame that the human race crucified their own creator. That's right. The human race that you and I are part of crucified their own creator. And the Jews that day, they said a, a dreadful thing. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. Wow. And you look at history and you see what has happened to the Jews, the nation of Israel. What a horrific thing. I want to tell you today that the cross exposes what is in the heart of all humanity. 
It is sin. It is rebellion against God. The cross expresses the heart of God. The love of God in all its fullness was demonstrated at the cross. Every divine attribute was on display at the cross. Oh, what grace. What grace and what mercy to mankind. They take him out and lead him through the streets and everybody's mocking him and he's carrying a cross and he goes to Skull Hill and they take his hands and they take his feet and they nail him to a cross. Do you know what he says? We read it. Luke 23. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, hold back. Father, have mercy on these people. They're out of their mind. They don't know what they're doing. And if it had not been for the plan of God from before the beginning of time, he could have called 10,000 angels. They would have rescued him and he could have destroyed the world. But I want to tell you today from the cross, it was love for you. It was love for me. This was the only way that our sin could be forgiven. He stayed there on that cross and he bore our sin in his own body. The cross expresses the heart of God. Grace is something we don't deserve. It's unmerited, undeserved kindness. God shows us grace. Mercy is when we do deserve something and God actually holds back that punishment. Could I tell you today that at the cross, God showed mercy to you and God showed mercy to me, but for him, the Lord Jesus, there was no mercy. That scene was clothed in darkness and in the middle of the day, darkness flooded that scene. And a holy God took our sin, the sin of the entire world, every human being that ever lived, all your lust, all your lies, all your immorality, everything that you've done deceitful, all your pride, every single one of us starting with myself. God knew our entire sins. The weight of all the sins of the entire world, of every person that ever lived, God took it. Only God could do this, gathered it up, and he punished his own son for our sin. In the darkness of Calvary, the heart of God was fully expressed in love, in mercy, in undeserved kindness. Folks, I want to tell you today that the cross displays the deep, deep compassion of God. When he loved a world that hated and rejected his son, when he loved you and he loved me, and he knew our lives, all the rebellion and the disobedience that we would do our entire life, he knew it all. And yet he went to the cross and he died there for me and he died there for you and he took our sin and the heart of God was fully expressed at the cross. Let me give you some scripture. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God, 
demonstrated his own love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He shed his precious blood. He paid the ransom. Let me tell you about the ransom. 1 Timothy 2. There is one God. Contrary to popular belief, there are not many gods. There is one God. And there is one mediator. No one else. One person between God and man. And his name is Jesus. Who gave himself the ransom for all men. In order for you to be in heaven and have eternal life and know your sins forgiven, Jesus had to go to the cross and he had to pay the ransom price to redeem our souls to God. Here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. There's a payment price for sin. In many popular religions today, people are hoping that God will be merciful. If God is just and if he is righteous, he cannot overlook sin. Sin has to be righteously paid for. And when God gave his son Jesus to die for our sin, he did not compromise his own character. He put our sin away righteously. Jesus died as the substitute on behalf of all men that everyone who believes in him has the forgiveness of their sins. Can you go to the next slide, please, Matt? I want to tell you today that the cross leads sinners to repentance. And like I said at the beginning, everyone who gets to the cross and understands the truth of this is never the same. They are changed forever. Repentance means a change of mind, a change of thinking, a change of direction. There's a verse in Acts 17 and 30, and I want to refer you to this verse because it is so important, especially on the subject of repentance. Acts 17 and 30 says this, God now commands, not suggests, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. And I run into a lot of people that are very good living people. A lot of people that are religious. A lot of people that are self-righteous. But this is a verse that makes it unmistakably clear that all men of every age, everywhere, need to repent. There is no such a thing as being brought up in a Christian faith and therefore not needing repentance. The Bible knows nothing of that. There is no such a thing of a person leading such a good life, being so kind, so loving, doing so many good things that they have no need of repentance. I believe from this verse that no one is exempt. This is a command by God that all men everywhere repent. Why is that? Because we have a wicked, sinful heart 
that is naturally prone to go against God. When we get to the cross and understand how much God loved us and what God was willing to pay for my sin, we have a change of thinking. We have a change of mind. We understand two things. God is holy and I am a sinner. And secondly, that God loves me enough to give his son to die for me, I love God. Repentance requires a self-evaluation. It requires an honest evaluation of my own heart. This is between you and God, but could I suggest today that every one of us need to have an honest evaluation of our own heart, our ways, our sin, our past, what we have done and what we are. And we need to have a change of mind, a change of thinking. We need to turn away from our sin and we need to turn to God. And what happens is a person has a realignment when my thoughts are brought into agreement with God's thoughts. Let me give you four examples at the cross where people repented. And think about yourself and your own life and, and your own past and think about if you have ever repented in your mind, in your heart. A criminal's heart was changed at the cross, the dying thief. We read about this. This is, this is a real touching story. You know, it says that uh, there was two criminals that were crucified with Christ and put to death. And if you look at all the gospel accounts, you get a little idea of what these people were like. They were cohorts of Barabbas. One gospel says they had committed insurrection. They had risen up against the Roman government. Another account says they were murderers. Another account says they were robbers. They had committed robbery. This was likely not the first time that they had done this. Here's a man who has a life of crime behind him. Here's a man who is a hardened criminal. And he's at the cross and he's, he's dying. He's crucified beside Christ. And he's watching and he's listening. Do you know what happened in his final hours? He had a change of heart. He had a change of heart. He looked at himself and he gave an honest evaluation. He said, I deserve to be here. I have committed crimes. I'm receiving the consequences for my sin. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Could I stop and ask you a question? When you look at the cross for yourself and you realize that Jesus has never committed one sin, the Bible bears that out. He is pure and he is holy, yet he is bearing the sin of the world. Would you be able to make that connection today that while he was there without sin, he was bearing my sin? That's a change of heart. That right there is repentance. And that dying thief looked at the Lord Jesus and he said two things. Lord, acknowledging his lordship, and secondly, acknowledging his resurrection. 
when you come into your kingdom, remember me. What did he realize? This is none other than the eternal son of God. This is the king. He's going to die, but he's going to be raised and he's gonna have a kingdom. Could I tell you folks, Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You do well and I do well to bow the knee now, right here in time before it's forever too late and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. In order to do that, you need to have a change of heart. You need to have a change of thinking because natural thinking says, I don't want anything to do with this man. Natural thinking is, I, I, I want nothing to do with this. But when you realize who he is and what he did, you will have a repentant heart. There was a, a covetous man that was smitten by his own guilt at the cross. And although it was too late for him, his name is Judas Iscariot. You see, the most important thing to Judas was those 30 pieces of silver. I want that money. He was living for that. And so he goes and he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he probably expected that Jesus would just pass through the midst and go on and not allow these people to take him and crucify him. But something different happened. Judas betrays Christ and Christ goes to the cross and Judas suddenly realized, smitten by his own guilt, I have betrayed innocent blood. I am guilty. And when he saw Jesus going to the cross, he had a change of mind. There was a Roman centurion at the cross, hard man, likely crucified hundreds, if not thousands of people. But this day was different. In Matthew chapter 27, it says a real interesting thing about the centurion. It says, when he saw the earthquake... And the events that took place that day, he said, truly this was the Son of God. You know what that centurion had? He had a realignment of his thinking at the cross. He had a change of mind. He realized this truly is the Son of God. And he was crucified for me. And he believed on the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. There was a religious man whose heart was changed at the cross. His name is Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus by night. And he's part of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. And he's thinking about all of these things that have happened. He believes on Jesus, but it's secret. He doesn't tell anyone because it's going to cost him. It's going to cost his position. He's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his position in the Sanhedrin. And so at the cross, Nicodemus is so moved by what happened that he makes a public confession to associate himself with Christ. And he goes to Pilate and he begs the body of Jesus. And in front of the open crowd that day, Nicodemus goes forward and he reaches up and he takes the Savior and he is associating himself with Christ 
publicly. And he takes him down and he buries him in that new tomb. And I am sure that everything changed for Nicodemus that day. He could no longer be part of the Sanhedrin because he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he made a public confession, a change of heart. Nicodemus had courage and boldness that day to give Christ an honorable burial. You know, there's a verse in Mark chapter eight that says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And I'd like to just bring this home to every one of our hearts today because the only thing that is of eternal consequence is on the day that you die, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? Is your soul saved? Are your sins forgiven? Are you going to heaven? And do you know for sure? And I wanna tell you today, you can know for sure. You can be absolutely 100% certain that Jesus Christ died for you. Number one, because the word of God says it. Number two, because history backs it up. Number three, because when you believe on Jesus, you have the witness in yourself. You have the peace of God. You know that you are right with God and your sins have been forgiven. I wonder today if you have all been to the cross. Now, I don't mean have you traveled to Israel. I mean in your heart and in your mind before your holy creator God. Have you gone to the cross? And have you stood there and realized that I am a sinner and Jesus is God's one and only son who is dying for me? When you believe on him, I say today you are changed forever. Forever. John 5 and 24. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and will not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. I was reading this past week through the book of Jeremiah. And I got to that, um, that amazing chapter in chapter 18. And, you know, Jeremiah is a, is a book of judgment and doom and gloom, and it just seems so weighty when you read through it about a nation that had rebelled against God. And then you get to chapter 18. And God says to Jeremiah, go down to the house of the potter. I got something to say to you at this house. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, and what does he see? He sees the potter, and there's a wheel, and there's clay in the hands of the potter, and the wheel is going around and around and around, and the potter is molding and shaping the clay. And you know what it says? It says the clay is marred in the hands of the potter. Could I just ask you today, do you feel like your life has been marred? I don't know you, you don't know me, we all struggle with issues. Every one of us have wounds and burdens and issues in our past because of sin. 
And sometimes our lives are affected by sin. But here's the good news. God says to Jeremiah, cannot I mold and shape you like the hands of the potter molded and shaped that vessel? Because out of a vessel that was marred, broken, and almost destroyed, that potter shaped and molded and made something completely new. Here's what God does for every person that gets to the cross. In repentance, they have a change of thinking. They have an evaluation that says, I'm not right with God. But they have a realignment. And God says, to everyone who will come to me, I will give life. I will give abundant life. I will give new life. I will give eternal life. And from the very first moment that you and I get to the cross, acknowledge our guilt and our sin, and believe on Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are made new. We are molded. We are reshaped. God brings something beautiful out of our broken lives. And that's what repentance is. It is an acknowledgement of my own sin and it is a change of my thinking and a realignment with what God says and it's allowing God to mold me and shape me and bring me into conformity to the image of his son. I wanna tell you today, the cross is the most critical spot for every one of us to get to, to acknowledge our sin and believe on Jesus Christ that we have everlasting life. To understand the cross is to be changed forever. And those who get to the cross are never the same again. I'd like to invite and urge everyone today to have an honest evaluation of your own life before God, not before men. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to go to a preacher. This is between your soul and God alone. And I'd like to invite every one of us to have an honest evaluation of our life and to think today about how God loved me and gave his one and only son to die for my sin and to believe on him and to know the full assurance of having everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he said, do you believe this? I'd like to finish with that today. Do you believe this? It's up for every single one of us to evaluate this before God. Do I believe this? Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the cross. We thank you for the demonstration of the love of God towards sinful man. And we thank you, Lord, that you have provided redemption and eternal life to everyone who believes on him. And I just thank you, Lord, for this time that we can share the scriptures and pray your blessing upon each one of us that as we part and go our, our separate ways today, that the word of God would be a blessing to our soul and that we would, each one of us, get to the cross and believe on the Lord Jesus and know the full assurance of having peace with God, saved by the grace of God, and believing in the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we just commit us all to you and ask your blessing upon us the remainder of this week, and we give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.